O God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O God, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. What do we mean when we talk about God? This God we proclaim here at Old South, who we seek to understand and love and serve. What do we mean to say when we talk about this God? What sort of plan or purpose is this God following? Now, if I'm going to live my life based upon God, if I'm going to call upon you all, you who are worshiping with us wherever you are, if I'm going to call upon you to live your life based around God, it's pretty important what that means. It's pretty important to understand who this God is. Now, luckily for me, the Bible has rather a lot to say on the topic of who God is. Unluckily for me, the Bible is not written in English. The passage we heard read for us by Jan Monsma so beautifully a moment ago, not written in English, it was written in Greek. And not even modern Greek, written in ancient Greek. And let me tell you, if you didn't know this, ancient Greek is hard. It is really hard, you all. The grammar, the grammar of Greek just doesn't work the same way as English, not even a little bit. And the words don't mean the same thing. It is hard. Like the word for beginning in in the beginning fame, that beginning in Greek, that word is arche, which does mean beginning, but it also means the end, which is upsetting. <laughs> it means beginning, but not in the sense of a mere start. Arche is a philosophical word that is about the origin of a thing where it comes from in the sense of why is it the way that it is. When the Gospel of John starts with in the beginning, it is trying to talk about the primordial origin of all things, the origin of a thing which is in a way its destiny, which is why archaic can mean both beginning and end. To put it another way, the Gospel of John begins with a creation story telling the story of why we exist. Just like the seven-day creation story of Genesis 1 or the Garden of Eden story in Genesis 2, the Bible already has two creation stories, and the Gospel of John just sort of says, what's a third creation story among friends? This is a creation story. And all of that can be learned from just one word, because Greek is really hard. Greek is really hard. So we have this cosmic the beginning, this arche. But what about it? What about this beginning? Well, we read, in the beginning was the word. And this is sort of a strange image in English. It's a strange image. It seems like we have two separate things going on here. We have sort of like a, a cosmic background, this sort of difficult to define beginning that was before all things. And then 
I guess, floating in the middle of it. There is a word, and I don't know if this is a word that's spoken aloud. Am I listening to this? Is it something that I'm looking at and I'm reading? It's hard to get a picture here what's happening in English. But in Greek, it's actually, it's actually less confusing in Greek because the word in Greek that is used here, it is logos. And logos, it does mean word. It does. Word and logos, they're the same in the sense that a sparrow and a cockatiel are the same. They are the same, but one of them is real fancy, and that is logos in this case. It's a philosophical word again, and it means something like the power of reason itself. Logos can also be used in a mathematical sense to talk about the ratio between two numbers. It also means the law that governs a thing the law that it takes the application of reason to figure out. And logos means the expression of that law, the putting into words of that law. In that sense, logos is a word, in that what you are doing is expressing the fundamental law that governs a thing. It's kind of a specific sense of word. There is a logos between an acorn and an oak tree. And logos expresses the law that binds those two things together. The reason, the purpose. In the beginning was the word. That is, in the primordial origin from which all things came, there was a law, a purpose, a reason that was there to drive what is to come. And in Greek, all of that just takes five words to say because Greek is hard. Okay, very well. Gospel of John, we have a cosmic origin story where there is a fundamental law, one that expresses and guides the purpose of all things. So what is the purpose then? If there is a purpose to all things, what is it? Say more about this word that was in the beginning. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. And don't worry. The word God here, it's just the word theon, which just means God. And famously, everybody is on the same page about what the word God means. <laughs> or at least whatever problems we have in English, the same problems were there in Greek. So maybe the Greek is finally giving us a break. No, it is not. No, it is not. Because the grammar, the grammar is so, it's not the same grammar as in English. The sentence structure here in Greek, is an, it's very interesting. There's an interesting kind of repetition going on where the repeated phrase is reversed in order halfway through. We have these in English as well. So for example, the dog is my best friend and the, my best friend is the dog. You say a phrase and then you emphasize it by saying it again but backwards. That's how the sentence structure here works in the Gospel of John. Trying to pull it directly over into English, it would sound something like this. The Word was with God, and God was the Word. And this doesn't really quite work in English grammatically. You've changed the subject of the sentence halfway through. It gets kind of muddled who is talking about what. It gets confusing. But in Greek, not so. In Greek, it is not a muddle. The translators are correct. 
The best way to say this in English is just a regular old repetition without turning the phrase around backwards. The word was with God, and the word was God. But the grammatical structure here in Greek makes it clear that the word and God, they are one and the same thing. There is an emphatic unity. There is an emphatic unity that literally cannot be translated into English because Greek is hard. So, that's great. We are one sentence in to the Gospel of John. <laughs> in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So we have a cosmic origin, the beginning of all things. And at that origin, there is a purpose, a reason, a fundamental force driving all things, and that is God. God is driving all things for a purpose from the very beginning, but we still don't really know much about this God. I want to know more about what this God is like. Is this a cosmic monarch who is waiting for tribute? Is this a, a kind of a, an aloof clockmaker who has set things worrying and is happy to simply go off to do whatever else it is that God does? What is this God like? What is the purpose that God has been pursuing from the very beginning? If God is the Logos, the reason that has been at work from the Arche, then what is the Logos trying to do? If we want to keep following the thread of this Logos, then we need to jump over a bunch of stuff about light and this whole sidebar about John the Baptist, and then we pick back up in verse 14 when the Logos reappears. And the Word became flesh and dwelled among us. This is the Logos returned again. The Word became flesh and dwelled among us. The word for flesh here is sarks. And if Logos is fancy, sarks is not fancy. Sarks does mean flesh, but its primary meaning is meat. It is an everyday sort of word, a word at home in the kitchens, a word at home in straightforward questions at the doctor's office. The muscle and skin and sinew and bone and fat of a person, that is sarks. The ordinary, everyday flesh of the body. That is what the word became. Sarks. The ordinary stuff of being alive in all of its mess in all of its glory. Becoming flesh is what the Logos was doing. The reason behind all of creation, this was the purpose, the beginning, the end, the arche, to become flesh and dwell among us. This was the purpose. That's what the word incarnation means. It's got that little carne right in the middle of it. That is what the incarnation means. God living among us, being one of us. That's plan A. And God doesn't need but one plan. For God to be a person, to dwell with us, to take on this human flesh, this is the reason behind it all from the beginning. So who is this God 
we are talking about at Old South, who we seek to understand and love and serve. Who is this God? What sort of claims are we making about this God? What sort of plan or purpose might God be following? And of course, God is a lot of things. God is beyond my understanding, greater than my scribblings and mumblings, but God is yet. God is yet still a human being, flesh and blood the way that you are, and that this is no accident. This is no stooping down to deign to be among us for a little bit. This was the reason from the beginning to be with us. Perhaps it is not really so very hard to understand. Perhaps it does not require quite so much parsing as I have done today. Because we have seen the glory of God. The glory as of the only child of a loving parent filled with grace and truth. It is not hard to understand. And this is the glory of God not of a terrifying monarch or an untouchable first principle, unconcerned with our comings and goings. We have seen the glory of God among us. This is the God we proclaim. To become flesh, to dwell among us. That's the plan. It's always been the plan. Greek is hard. To get all this stuff together for this sermon, I had to look at so many books, you all. I like books, but this was really a lot. But it is worth it. It is worth every second if we can come away from this with just a bit, bit more understanding. If you come away knowing that from the very first, that it had always been at the very heart of who God is to be with you, mm -hmm. to be with you. Thanks be to God. Amen.